0: April and I are deeply honored to be here, and of course, as every smart husband would do, I said to her, so what should I not forget to say? And she said, I'm not sure, but make sure you tell them about our grandkids. (laughs) I've already told you we have eight grandkids, but just recently, uh, our oldest grandson texted me. That was a new experience. And he said, Grandpa, tell Grandma that my regionals are on June 9th at Jacob Hespler High School. He didn't need me, he just needed me to tell Grandma. But what was really cool, about an hour later, my granddaughter in Orlando texted and said, Morning, Grandpa. Morning, Grandpa. I just thought that was so, so very cool. So it's a tremendous honor for us to be here. And of course, um, one of the reasons it's a joy for me to be here is that I think pastors are shepherds of a church's story that they have shared along the way, and I shared a part of your story, and I was part of the journey of this church, and we remember it with gratitude to God, and I remember three things in particular. The first should move our hearts deeply that you are surrounded by a highly esteemed cloud of witnesses who had vision to plant this church and to, to lead you on into the future. Some of them are still here, some of them are in heaven, but thank God for them, you are unusually blessed with the highly esteemed cloud of witnesses that you have. And if I start naming them, I won't stop. It's like getting me talking about my grandkids but then you are uniquely blessed in that you have a spirit-filled body of disciples. This is a church full of people. It's always been a church full of people that don't sit on their, pardon my uh, unsophisticated language, that don't sit on their laurels, but they get involved and they serve. It is thrilling to watch various members from the past and current members serving throughout the church building today. So I got to serve the founding uh, generation. I was their pastor. Uh, I got to lock arms with the, I think I served with every one of the founding members, and then I was sort of a link to the next generation during that period of time, and God has continued to bless you with a spirit-filled bunch of people. Uh, And then that generation served my kids. We came with four younger children. I think our daughter was 10 or 11 and their lives were permanently shaped by this congregation. They had some of the best Sunday school teachers and youth sponsors. I have to be careful that I don't get choked up because they had some of the best. They were teenagers. You know what was good about this church? My kids could be my kids. They didn't have to be the preacher's kids. This church had sense enough to leave our kids alone and let them grow up like everybody else's kids, which is a mark of a mature congregation. But then thirdly, this church has been used for the glory of God because of a great cloud of witnesses because of a spirit-filled bunch of people that are led by a dynamic cause. I love your vision statement, to make the word fully known and to make the people of God fully mature. That is the call of God on the church, isn't it? So I can't help but wonder if it's a coincidence, not, Uh, Is it a coincidence that the 50th anniversary of West Highland Baptist Church is falling on one of the most raucous times in recent history in the world, or is God staging this church for a greater impact than you haven't even thought about yet? And I think I can prove that to you. In the words of that great pastor in Dallas, Texas, Matt Chandler, he says to his church, Church, you were built for this hour. Don't retreat, don't apologize. Move forward in faith. Murray Pipe taught me that little phrase. Forward in faith. Move ahead in the will of God. Great days are ahead. Are you listening to me, church family? You were built for this hour. This day is waiting for you to step up in the great cause that you have adopted in your heart. Now's not the time to uh, retreat or apologize, so I can prove it to you, although it's already been proven to you. My text is the one that you read on the screen this morning, but I'm gonna take the time to read it again if you don't mind, because I believe that the reading of God's word is more important than anything that I can say about it or anything you think about it, because it is the word of God, and it is the theme, apparently, for your 50th anniversary. I love it, listen carefully. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Watch that little prepositional phrase, in him, it's gonna appear several times. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, this is really cool, abounding in it with thanksgiving. If you're not sitting here as a Christian and a member of this church with your heart ready to explode with gratitude to God, you need a spiritual revival. Look what he says. When you think about what he's done in your heart, the only sensible response is, abound in it with thanksgiving. Now watch what he says in verse eight. He's speaking now to the rooted, built up and established in the faith. You beware, you be careful. Lest anyone cheat you, don't you hate to be cheated? When you get in the car and check your receipt and you realize she, the, the clerk jipped you 10 bucks. It doesn't feel good, does it? Don't be cheated through philosophy and empty deceit. In the Greek that probably says the empty deceit of philosophy or philosophy which is empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all authority, uh, excuse me, all yeah, principalities and powers. So Paul basically says, Jesus of Nazareth is fully God, and he has been forever. We don't doubt that, of course. But the next part staggers our mind. And you are complete in him. You should be living out of his fullness. Christianity is not a call to mimic Jesus. It is an open door to step into the fullness of Jesus. We do not have any excuse for not drawing on his sufficiency, his greatness, and his fullness. Which means, of course, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be prepared to say, I'm rather weak today. I'm rather weak most days. I'm struggling today. Today is not a good day. I have trials and troubles of all kinds, but I've learned the secret. When I'm empty, I know where to go to get refueled and refilled. So Paul says, Jesus your Lord is God who came in the flesh. This is Paul's parallel passage to John John's Gospel chapter 1 when John said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and remember go on down to verse number 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory <laughs> you are looking at as much of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as the day you will see him in heaven Jesus is the revelation of God's majesty and glory, and then John says, and from his fullness have we all received. So we're drawing our sufficiency, we're drawing our strength, we're drawing our hope, we're drawing everything we need, moment by moment, from Jesus Christ. So that's our starting point. How do we manage and steward that sufficiency and that fullness. Paul answers it in the text. And my outline this morning is four simple words. I like simple, do you? Uh, I'm simple because I can't remember the complicated outline. So my first point is simply nearer or closer. It's the word closer. Notice what he says in the text. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I love how the Bible takes these uh, sweet ideas, like the privilege of walking with God, and uh, presents it in very human, organic, earthy ways. Who doesn't know what it means to walk, right? Uh, it's, it's It's the word that speaks of everyday movement. It's everyday being conscious of the presence of God and the presence of Jesus Christ. So like you have trusted Christ, how did you do that? By faith, in a simple ask. John 1:12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave them the right or the privilege to become the sons and daughters of God. How did you receive him? By faith, <laughs> come into my heart, Lord Jesus. It's that simple. When I'm talking to people about the gospel and they say, well how am I supposed to do that? I say, ask Jesus, who is here now with you, to come into your life, to enter your life. So he says, in the simplicity of receiving Christ, you should continue to walk in Christ. The longer you walk with someone, the closer you get to them you know. I have a few friends that have been friends for 45 years. And the further we go, the closer we feel to each other. I called one of them the other day. I called him Al Cabrell, down in New Brunswick. I said, Abba, how are you today? He's now struggling with advanced Parkinson's and uh, he has brittle diabetes and his mind is getting a little foggy. And he will say to me, Derek, in the breaking down of my body, I'm experiencing more of the glory and presence of God than I ever have. What a message, what a promise. The world can't compare. Walk in the simplicity of locking arms with Jesus and living near him. This is not only an invitation to faith and obedience, a greater faith and obedience, it's an invitation to deeper relationship. I was struck the other day when I was reading in the Psalms and I came to, I think it's Psalm 78, where the psalmist said it is good for me to be near God. It is good for me to be near God. What does he mean? I'm I'm believing and practicing the presence of God in my life. And then James took that idea and said to us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you live daily the conscious awareness of his wonderful presence? Hebrews put it this way, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Every time I speak the word, Jesus, I need you right now. (laughs) I'm confused, I'm struggling, I'm weak, I'm anxious. I developed a bit of an anxiety issue in my older years. And when the anxiety strikes, I go to my room, I open my Bible, and I look up and say, Lord, help me. I can tell you 100% of the time he meets that need. The anxiety rushes away and the peace of God comes in its place by calling on the name of Jesus. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Can I give you my definition of a disciple? Which is what you are called to make, right? The church is here, uh, our, our main mission is to make disciples of all nations. So a disciple is one who learns from Jesus while living in relationship with Jesus. If you're here to listen to a sermon, you'll be disappointed. But if you're here listening with ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to this church, you might just hear him speak to your life. Doesn't that sound like this invitation of Paul, continue to walk in him, doesn't it remind you of John chapter 15? Abide in me. I love that word abide because it means to share the same house with. It means dwell to, to dwell together. <laughs> uh, April and I have been empty nesters for many years now and we're finding out that our house is just too big too much work, but I really love my roommate. We get along great. We've been sharing space together for 38. We've been dating 41 years, but officially, legally, spiritually, married for 38 years. So I know what the idea of sharing a space with someone looks like. In the same way, Your relationship with Jesus is like sharing your home, sharing your heart in relationship with him. So West Highland Baptist Church, would you say you're moving closer to the heart of God? The next word is the next phrase, deeper, rooted and built up in him. I just love that word, rooted, because it, of course, pictures a tree It formulates a mental picture of a tree with its roots going down into the sacred soil of the divine vine of our Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate the analogy because when I was a young boy, uh, my dad was killed in an automobile accident and my mother had five children to look after and uh, she went to work in the fields working for J.D. Irving. She planted trees and she pruned trees out in the hot sun all day she had a big uh, i call it a gun i don't know what else to call it. i'm sorry for using that word but it's a big long rifle like machine and she would shoot the sapling into the earth and when they were done planting in the spring then they would go and prune the trees and and care for the trees making sure that the saplings had a chance at life New Christians don't have a chance at life if you don't root them in the faith and in Jesus Christ. But of course, mature trees can develop problems with their roots too, you know. John said it a few minutes ago. We're in a alarming time for the church when these giant oak trees of Christians and pastors that we've admired are falling over in the windstorms. I was visiting my son and his wife the other, a couple of Sundays ago. They have a nice pool in the backyard, so it was fun to spend the afternoon there. And my daughter-in-law is a jogger, and she said to me, you wanna go for a jog, Dad? And I said, four kilometers only. Four kilometers, I mean it, it's hot day. She, we ended up going 12 kilometers. And would you know the old man felt good because at the end of it I was saying, pick it up, daughter, pick it up, come on. What's wrong? (laughs) I didn't tell her what I felt like Monday morning, but that's another story. But when we were leaving the main town of Hespeler, Cambridge, we went through one of the old cemeteries and there were massive uh, evergreen trees that were, first of all, some of them were split in two from the last big windstorm that went out. They were rotted inside. But then there were many that were simply toppled over because the the roots had grown weak. You're not safe just because you've been a Christian for 50 years or 60 years or 70 years. You must live with great attention to your spiritual life now as much as ever. You need to go deeper with Jesus. Go deeper till the day you die. Keep a Bible tucked near your bedside and open it and ask God to take you deeper, Lord. I need to go deeper. It's a very familiar designation for Christians, of course. Blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He will be like the what? The tree planted by the streams of living water. And then I love that reference in Psalm 92 because I now have more gray hair. Some of you who were here when I was here would remember I had jet black hair. And I haven't dyed it. This is God's dye job. (laughs) The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of their God. I don't know what life is like for you, John, but as I get a little bit older, I'm more excited now about the possibility of continuing to grow in grace, and of learning how my roots will go yet deeper still into the sufficiency and fullness of Christ. And so, are you going deeper, or are you a shallow Christian? Let's just be plain about it. Would a good windstorm blow you off the terrain of the Christian life? Or are your roots deep enough that when a great crisis strikes, sure, you're human, you might be rattled, but your roots are attached deeply to Christ. And by the way, this is not a reference to just traveling all the way to the finish line. In fact, it's the opposite. You're not gonna receive a trophy just because you made it to the finish line. You're going to receive commendation from your Lord because you drew ever closer to Jesus. Your roots kept going deeper and deeper in the soil of his sufficiency in our lives. Let me give you a third word. It's in verse seven, the word higher. Let's draw closer to him. Let's go deeper in him. Let's build higher. Of course, that's the next phrase where he says, rooted and built up. Notice the word up, built up in him, I love that. Because the call of the Christian life is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's always fun to meet people from your past, isn't it? You walk away from some conversations, you say they haven't changed a single bit. They're still as grumpy as they ever were. (laughs) They're still as critical as they ever were. You then meet beautiful saints who keep walking with God through the harsh disappointments of life and the sweetness of Jesus is magnified in them and through them. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to keep climbing higher and higher. Glory to God for this church. I know your whole journey from the house prayer meetings to the school to the building to here and now this magnificent edifice. But if you rest now, you'll miss what God has planned for you. He plans to take you higher. (laughs) He does. That's his plan built up in him. The word is actually constructed in the Greek to mean, uh, to signal continuous action. There's never a point at which you aren't giving it your all. You know what I like about this? This analogy is used in the scriptures to speak about God who is building a big house and he's planning on having lots of children. And he equips the church with men who. Uh, grow the church and mature the church so that the church in the end ephesians 4 says will build itself up in love isn't it it's a privilege for me to be here to preach this morning but you don't need me and all due respect john they don't they shouldn't need us you need to know how to build yourself up in the lord and we are just servants and partners to fan the flame in your spiritual journey to encourage you, go on with Jesus. Walk on with Jesus. We're called the household of faith. It's my favorite designation of what it means to be a Christian. It means we're a family. The average church isn't much like a family. They're preaching centers that have learned how to market the gospel and draw a big crowd But I like to say, any old clown can draw a big crowd. It takes a dedicated church to make disciples, true disciples. So he says, we're the family. Do you feel like a family here? And if you don't, is it their fault or yours? It takes two people to say, let's have dinner. It takes two people to say, let's share holidays together. It takes two people to say, let's dance, the dance of life. That's why Peter said, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Wow. Every time I've come back to visit the church over the years, a few times I've had the privilege of coming back, I drive into this campus and say, wow, what a magnificent building. And then I ask God to give this congregation spiritualized to see the living spiritual house that he's building so that this is just a resource Not to be worshiped, but a a resource to be stewarded for his glory, why? Because it's the people and the family, heart for one another that counts to God. Now I need to pause on this third word to just point out how carefully Paul defines what it means to be drawing on the sufficiency of Christ. First thing he does, he says in the text, you are established in the faith. So he's basically saying, keep in mind, this is God who does the establishing. It's how it's worded in the Greek. God is the establisher and the guarantee of your salvation, not you. It's not by trying, but by trusting that we get to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. So it is God who does the establishing. And then, of course, he tells us how it happens. It's quite simple. As you have been taught, that's the means of, of rooting, building, and establishing God's people in the faith. Teaching is that means. My youth pastor is preaching for me this morning at City Center, and I gave him the assignment of preaching on 1 Timothy 4:11 to the end of the chapter that begins with these words. Paul says to Timothy, these things command and teach. We like the teaching part, we don't like the commanding part. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. So I said to him, "Uh, Tom, you can't control how people see you, but you have full control over whether or not you are an example to the believers. And then he says to them, give careful attention to the public reading of God's word, to exhortation and to teaching. Then he says to Timothy, immerse yourself. We're Baptists, we know what the word immerse means. Immerse yourself in it. He says, pay careful attention to yourself and to the teaching. And if you do this, you will save both yourself and somebody else. Now that's a, that could be a controversial thing to say, couldn't it? Uh, you really can say from Paul to Timothy, we are each other's saviors, small If you speak the truth to yourself and to others, you're delivering a form of rescuing them and of saving them from the disaster of a wrecked life. Isn't it interesting that Paul tells Timothy, immerse yourself in these things. So if you want to be closer, deeper, and higher, you better get cracking in being a good student of God's word. And then he says, the third thing that he says is, abounding in it with thanksgiving. How do you know that you are rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith? Because the spiritual outcome will be gratitude. Are you a grateful Christian or are you a grumpy Christian? So Paul says it here. Gratitude isn't just a cute lesson to teach children when you want to grow their character. It's the evidence of a spirit-filled, spirit-led man or woman. They're grateful. How many times a day do you say, thank you, Lord? Every time I serve communion, I get up and say, and now God's people say, and they'll say amen, and I'll say, "No, no, 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 no amens, no amens. Thank you, Lord, is our response to communion. Thank you, Lord. We should be saying thank you 10,000 times a day. We are the gimme generation. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I want more. It's my right. Gimme, gimme, gimme. The church is the gratitude generation. We're thankful for what God gives us under his sovereign control. One last word. Are you going higher? Are you building higher? The last word is stronger. It's telling that Paul establishes the great work of salvation and the steps of obedience we can take to draw on the sufficiency of Christ and then he throws up a big warning and he says beware um, he's telling us that heresy isn't the only threat to this church heresy isn't the greatest threat to most evangelical churches i don't imagine could be But there are other things that can threaten your growth in Christ, your progress in faith. So he says, beware. Even though you are rooted and built up and established, you need to keep alert at all times. Have any of you been to the uh, National Archives Museum in Washington, DC? If you haven't had a chance, you should go there. Even as a Canadian, it's quite uh, inspiring to be there. And that giant building is flanked by four Uh, great statues, and one of the statues at the main door has a plaque on the front that says, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. That's exactly what Paul is saying. You must be eternally vigilant to make sure that you don't get cheated in your spiritual life. Could there be any greater disaster than to come to the end of your spiritual journey and realize, I've been cheated, I was misled I went down the wrong path and then he simply tells us three things that we need to be aware of philosophy which is an empty deceit now be very careful about that word because there's nothing wrong with the word philosophy right it just it simply means the love of wisdom who doesn't want to be wise He's, what he's saying is, don't think you can build greater wisdom than you already have in Christ. If you go back to verse number three, you'll see it there. He says, Christ is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So his warning here is, uh, don't think yourself smarter than God and his simple plan. His simple plan, according to Paul, I didn't come with manipulating words and carefully developed schemes. I came to be among you to preach the gospel in its power. And that is the sufficiency of God, that's enough. That's how God does his work. So be careful about carefully crafted wisdom that is not anchored in and sens- and fully centered on Jesus Christ is his idea, these Christians were being tempted. Then of course he says the tradition of men. Don't be cheated by the traditions of men. Over almost 40 years of ministry now, I've pastored congregations with varying degrees of commitment to traditions. And here's what I discovered, Baptist churches are just as traditional as Roman Catholics can be. When a method becomes more important than its meaning, Baptist churches can be just as deadly as anybody else in saying, we've never done it that way. (laughs) I heard that a few times here at West Highland. We've never done it that way, who cares? Who cares that we've never done it that way? If tradition is more important than moving forward with Christ, to heck with our traditions, that's not to say traditions aren't good. My time is gone, so I'll finish. He says lastly, don't be cheated by the basic principles of the world. Uh, that's a, that's a, uh, not a clear term in the Greek and uh, Bible teachers argue over its exact meaning. I take it to simply mean don't be enamored with the way the world operates and, and try to emulate the way they get things done in the church. You rely on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Let the world do its thing. Why do we need to sound like and act like and look like the world? When we have Jesus, He's enough. He's all we need. It's what I call spectacle Christianity. When the people leading and the people preaching are clearly more in love with themselves than they are Jesus, and you can't hear the Lord for the noise of the people, you're in trouble. Beware, don't let anyone cheat you. I want to say to West Island, well done for not letting anybody cheat you. But the battle is not over. My conclusion is this. If you coast your toast, Father, I pray that you would draw this church closer to your heart than it's ever been. Take it deeper than it's ever dreamed. Build it higher and higher and higher as a great spiritual house, reaching all the way up into the heavens for your glory. And I pray that you will keep them safe in the philosophies of the world, the traditions of men, and the basic elements of the world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Derek, for preaching your heart out today and giving us much to think about. A wonderful message we've all heard from God today. You'll notice that I just lit the candle behind me here and that's because, you remember a couple of weeks ago we reported about four kids had come to know Christ? Well, one of the little guys went home and thought more and more about what he'd heard, came back the following week said, I'm ready, I wanna give my heart to the Lord Jesus. So that happened last Sunday morning and that's why the candle's lit. Uh, Derek and April will be right up here in this corner, so if uh, you want to meet them and greet them, please feel free to do so. And now may God, the Holy Spirit, help us all to grow deeper, to grow closer, to grow higher, and to be stronger in Him who loves us and has loosed us from our sins by His blood. Amen. Amen.